Welcome to Our Lords. We're a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. And what I want us to do, we typically do this uh, in honor of those who've served our country. Why don't we have the veterans stand up? Let's take a moment to just acknowledge them and pray. So let's do, Lord, we thank you for these faithful people that have served our country. So we ask for a special blessing on them today. We're grateful. Thank you when we honor them. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So here at Our Lords, we're a community and everything is rooted in relationships here friendship, relationships, and people that come visit acknowledge that. They say there is something about this place. There's an energy, there's a warmth, and that really is the basis of everything that we do. Everything that we are is rooted in the sense that we're God's family. The Father loves us, and we get to share that love with each other and with the world around us. So we're a community, we're a family, but we're also an army, aren't we? We're an army. The Lord's people are an army of sacrificial love under the cross. And so we talk about it regularly here that we don't just come and do this on Sunday and go home. This is actually fill up time. This is refuel time. This is bonfire time to come and circle up around the Lord's presence so that during the week you can go out as mobilized saints. Paul says in Ephesians 4.12 that really when we gather together, the point of it is to be equipped, to worship God and to be equipped as his people. So here at Our Lords, we are passionate about mobilizing the Lord's army. We're in week six of our series on the Apostles' Creed. Part of being the Lord's army is a commitment to the word of God, to the scriptures, knowing the, the plan, knowing the mind of God, knowing the will of God, being transformed by the scriptures. Thank you to Al last Sunday. Thanks to Al, right? Those of you that were here talked about going and making disciples. I'm grateful that we have many among us who love the Lord and love to speak about his word. So we're in week six, and if you can remember way back, the last phrase we looked at in the Apostles' Creed was about the return of Jesus, that he will come to judge the living and the dead. And today, we're looking at, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Why don't we say that together? I believe in the Holy Spirit. Let's do it again. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So we mentioned as we were getting this series launched that the whole structure of the Apostles' Creed is based on faith in God the Father, faith in His Son, Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at the third section of that, faith in the person of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to do today, I want to look at three facets of the person of the Holy Spirit his person, his presence, and his power. The person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
always, when we look at the scriptures, it's meant to be worshipful. We're making much of who God is. And what I want to do today may seem a little peculiar, but I want to make much of the Holy Spirit. We know from the Gospels, John 16, Jesus says that the Spirit is committed to glorifying Him. And so we'll see today that as we acknowledge who the person of the Holy Spirit is, that He glorifies Jesus. So as I say that today, that's built into it. We want to focus on the person of the Holy Spirit in Holy Scripture. And as we do that, Jesus is glorified. The Son of God is glorified. So let's look at the person of the Holy Spirit in Scripture and have your your Bibles ready. You can look up here on the slides as well. And I would encourage you, as I do each, each week, bring a notepad. Write some of this stuff down. Grab some of the materials that we have around here so that you, during the week, can pray into these things. You can meditate on these passages. You can memorize some of them. You can pray the scriptures back to God. So we're going to be working through several passages today. The first is going to be found in John 4, 24. But what I want to say before we do anything as we look at the person of the Holy Spirit today, we are talking about the third person of the Holy Trinity. This is holy ground. The whole Apostles' Creed is, but this is the third person of the Holy Trinity. It's central in the teaching of the church. This is something the church has been committed to for 2,000 years, Trinitarian doctrine, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, oftentimes, the Holy Spirit gets tucked away. It's kind of God Jr. One person said that the Holy Spirit is like the Cinderella of the Holy Trinity, off doing all the work and never getting any acknowledgement. And today we want to say, no, that's actually inaccurate. We worship the Father through the Son by the Spirit. This is God that we're talking about. John 4, 24, look at it. Jesus himself says this about the person of the Holy Spirit in relation to God the Father. John 4, 24 says this, God is spirit, and those who worship God must worship in spirit and truth. And so Jesus, the greatest teacher of all time, is saying there that there's something in the deep mystery of God's being that is spirit. God is spirit. We have spirit. God is spirit. And if we, in fact, are going to be followers of Jesus and worshipers of God, we only do this through the person of the third person of the Holy Trinity. We do it in spirit, by the spirit, and in truth. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3, if you want to look there. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. One of the clearest statements in the entire New Testament on the person of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, the Apostle Paul says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, all Christians, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image. It's the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. 
So the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, we don't think about it much, but the Spirit is God. The early church contended for this and articulated it early on. The early church leaders poured over the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and they found there this pattern, a Trinitarian pattern. God the Father, Yahweh, the Son, Messiah, Jesus, and the Spirit. So we're committed to this. Think about it for a moment. The great doxology. How does the doxology go? Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit. It's kind of an antiquated word for spirit. So the church has been committed to this for 2,000 years. We praise the Father. We praise the Son. We praise the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite theologians, a guy named Tom Oden, dedicated his whole life. He was an Okie, by the way. He was from Oklahoma City, great Methodist theologian, recently went to be with the Lord. But he gave himself to studying the scriptures and the early church fathers. And listen to what Tom Oden says about the person of the Holy Spirit as he looks at St. Basil and some of the others that wrote unbelievable reflections and meditations on the person of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. The Spirit is rightly called God. The names of the Spirit make clear the deity of the Spirit. Scripture attests the Spirit as eternal in Hebrews 9, life-giving in Romans 8, incomparably one in Ephesians 4, of one essence with God, the Lord who is the Spirit in 2 Corinthians 3 as we just saw. It is by the Spirit Demons were cast out by the Son, Matthew 12. Sinners entered the kingdom of God, John 3. And the Son was raised from the dead by the Spirit, Romans 8. So it's the Spirit who raises from the dead and has life within himself, and therefore he must be God. So we are making much of the person of the Holy Spirit today, and we're seeing it in Scripture the Spirit himself actually is the author of the scriptures that we're looking at. If you open your Bible and look at Genesis 1, it mentions the Spirit of the Lord, the Ruach, the breath of God hovering over creation as it's forming. So the Spirit is part of this creative process. And then if you look at how the good book ends all the way in Revelation 22, who is it that's crying out with the bride for the Lord to come? It's the Spirit and the Bride. And so I think the Spirit was signaling in the authorship of Scripture, I'm involved from creation all the way through recreation. Look for my work. Look for what I'm doing to honor the Father and the Son. I've said Scripture itself is breathed into by the Spirit of God. Look at 2 Timothy 3.16. Maybe we don't think about this enough. The word of God itself is breathed into by the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Spirit. These are the words of the Spirit. These are the words that the Spirit gave to the prophets, to the apostles to record for all time, for us to nourish ourselves on. This is the sword of who? The Spirit. It is the word of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul 
says this in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient and equipped for every good work. So these are the words of the Spirit breathed into by the Spirit of God himself. Look at 2 Peter 1, 19. So the Apostle Paul says that about the writings of Scripture and the Apostle Peter is going to say this in 2 Peter 1, 19. Again, looking for this connection between the words and the Spirit. The Apostle Peter here is talking about, he's reassuring the church at Rome. And he's saying, the words that you anchor your hope and your faith in are not the words given by human beings. There's something more to them. They're God-inspired. He says this, so we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And he says this at verse 20. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by human will, but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So the Spirit of God inspires the words of God, the authors, and thanks be to God, we have a record of the words of the Holy Spirit. As if we're not getting it here, the fact that the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity is not a personal divine person. Look at uh, Matthew 28. We already read this this morning, but Matthew 28, 19 and 20, I'm going to read it again. As we look at the person of the Holy Spirit. So important is this idea of the Trinity, this doctrine of the Trinity that Jesus weaves it into baptism. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe, to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus baptized in these divine names, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and he commissions his disciples to do the same. A favorite passage around here, 2 Corinthians 13, at verse 13. It's one that I end the service with each week. The Apostle Paul encouraged the church at Corinth to be blessed in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Look, look at what it says, 2 Corinthians 13. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship or the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. So the early church, rooted in the teaching of Jesus, rooted in the teaching of the Apostle Paul, is a Trinitarian people, is a people of the Spirit. Friends, the Spirit is not an ambiguous force, not some kind of 
gaseous thing. The spirit is a person. It's what the scriptures teach. It's what the early church taught, what they articulated. The spirit is a person. The spirit has characteristics. I just want to list a few here. We could list 50. Look at Acts 15. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a force, not an ambiguous power, not God Jr., but the Spirit of the Lord, the Lord himself. Acts 15, 28, the early church is gathered together. They're having the first church council addressing some controversial things and coming to agreement. And look at what they say. Look at what they say. For it has seemed good to who? To the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than these essentials. And so the early church is gathered together and the leaders are seeking the mind of God through the Spirit and they, through prayer, through fellowship with the Holy Spirit, know that this is good to the person of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. When's the last time during your day, during your week, you said, Holy Spirit, is this good to you? Spirit, does this please you? I think we do it instinctively, but what I'm inviting us into in the coming weeks is be more mindful of this. Wow, that'll change our lives. That'll turn our lives upside down as we live Walk throughout the day. Holy Spirit, I want to do what is good and pleasing to you. Will you help me do that? And the Spirit is there with mighty force and mercy to do it. This is the essence of Christianity. The Spirit of God gives us the power to do what we can't do in and of ourselves. It's what makes our religion different than all the various world religions. As God says, I want you to obey, and here's how you do it, and I'm giving you my very spirit to live inside of you to help you do all of it. It's the greatest news on the planet. So the spirit can be pleased. Look at Acts 5, two verses here. So we look at the personhood, the personality of the spirit. This is real interesting. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to let you look at it. Acts 5, 3 through 4, and you tell me, you like that, Luke? You looked for personhood here in Acts 5, 3 through 4. It's a wild story about Ananias and Sapphira. Two people that end up doing some things they shouldn't. But the Apostle Peter says this, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to who? the Holy Spirit, and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land. So what these two had done was basically misused the funding that was coming through the church. They used it in a way that they shouldn't, and Peter's confronting them. Verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? Then catch this, how is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart you did not lie to us, but to who? To God. So the text is connecting in verse 3. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And then at verse 4, to lie to the Holy Spirit is to lie to God. So the Spirit of God can be lied to. 
personhood here, friends. I'm just going to read this. You can write it down and look at it later if you wish. But Isaiah 63.10, the prophet Isaiah says this, Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit can be grieved as well. This is personhood. Ephesians 4.30, the apostle Paul says this based on his reflection on Isaiah. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. So friends, this is part of what it means to walk with Jesus, to be a follower, is you are in fellowship with, you are in communion with a living person called the Holy Spirit. So you can devote the rest of your days to learning how to fellowship, how to cultivate friendship. Think about this for a moment. If you want to go deep with a friend, what kinds of things do you do? You have conversations. You do things that honor one another. If that person has their feelings hurt by maybe something you did or said, you amend it. We can have friendship and fellowship and communion with the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit. One last thing before we look at the presence of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God not only has characteristics, but the Spirit of God guides and leads Christians. The Spirit of God guides and leads the church. Look at John 16, 13. Again, this is why we look at something like the Apostles' Creed. It takes us into some territory where we often neglect. We're looking at our belief, our faith, our commitment to the person of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13, Jesus is telling his disciples this before he's dying on the cross. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, the spirit will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Spirit of God guides the disciples of Jesus, and the Spirit of God guides and leads the church for all time. We looked at Romans 8 a couple of months ago. In Romans 8, 14, Paul says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. These are characteristics of a person who guides and leads. Look at this one passage, and then we're going to transition here. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. I'm inviting you to read the scriptures, maybe with some new eyes, looking for the Father, the Son, the work of the Holy Spirit. Things begin to jump out at you. I read Galatians 5, which we're familiar with, the fruits of the Spirit and all, but there are some diamonds, some jewels tucked in there about the person of the Holy Spirit and our relationship with the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. Listen to the verbs, the words connected to the Spirit. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh, for what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit. And what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. 
Look at this at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. So friends, Jesus taught this. The apostles taught it. We can live by the Spirit. We can be led by the Spirit. We can have fellowship with the Spirit. We can learn to please the Spirit. Learn to avoid what grieves the Spirit. I'm sure no one else in here has grieved the Holy Spirit. I did it a couple days ago. I knew that I wasn't supposed to say this particular thing, and I felt it in my knower, in my gut. Anyone else have those moments? It's like, don't say that. It's the the kind, merciful, indwelling Holy Spirit saying, don't say that. It's not going to be good. Guess what I did? I said it anyway. And I could feel just that little grief. And again, it's not the judgment of God, not the judgment. It's just a little bit of can be better than that. So I was like, okay, I felt that deep down. I want to grow in that sensitivity to your voice, to your leading, and let's do better next time. Will you give me the grace and mercy? Then we move on, right? A second thing we're looking at here, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. Is the word of God amazing? The Word of God is amazing. If it's boring to us, then we just got to write it out. There are seasons where we're maybe uh, listless, we're needing an infusion, but friends, and I've walked through many of those where it's this, the scriptures aren't boring, but I'm bored. But I just commit to writing it out. And I'm in a season through the Apostles' Creed of rediscovering how fascinating this stuff is. The personhood of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. This is what we're created for, to commune with God, to know him. It's the only satisfying thing on the planet. That's why we have billionaires who buy yachts, one yacht after another after another, because they have an insatiable appetite inside of them for something, and stuff doesn't fill it. Only the knowledge of God taking root in the heart, that is what satisfies. It's as simple as that and deep as that. And we want to commit ourselves to plumbing the depths of the scriptures, the depths of who God is for decades. So the presence of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul is talking about the presence of the Spirit in the collective church the church together, and listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the workings of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discernment of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, all these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. So the presence of the Holy Spirit is with us collectively manifesting the presence of God through each of us. 
And each of us has gifts given by the Father through the Spirit so that when we come together, we get to see the activity of God, the love of God, the passion of God for the common good. Not only is the presence of the Holy Spirit with the collective church, us, but also with individual believers. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 16. The presence. We've looked at the personhood. Now we're looking at the presence of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. This will change your day right here. If you've got some, something in your life, maybe an addiction, a secret sin, something that you struggle with day after day, it's a secret here. Look at it. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So what Paul is saying here to a pretty wild church, the church at Corinth, we looked at this some time ago. It was like New York and Las Vegas and Los Angeles all mixed together. These people were getting saved out of unbelievable darkness. And Paul looks right into them and he says, you are God's holy temple. You are filled with his spirit, and therefore he makes you holy. We talk about arrow prayers around here. This is a great arrow prayer. Something rises up inside of you. Something's alluring. I am your temple, Lord. I'm filled with your spirit. I walk in holiness. You indwell me. You help me walk in holiness. So the Spirit of God indwells individual believers. This one is interesting as well. Look at John 3. John 3, 1 to 8. This is an interaction with Jesus and Nicodemus, a Pharisee who was intrigued and fascinated by Jesus, and he was coming to him stealthily at night, a secret meeting. Jesus, can I meet with you? I've got some questions and the Holy Spirit is right in the center of their discussion. John 3, 1 to 8. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. Look at this at verse 8. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, 
but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus is saying many things, but what he's saying here is the Spirit of God not only works in individual believers and in the church, but the Spirit of God blows through the world. This morning I was on a walk and about got blown over. I think that I checked the wind, it was about 17 degrees, and at one point I was kind of leaning into it and I saw the trees blowing and I was reflecting on this passage here and thinking about what a mystery the wind is. It's blowing all through my neighborhood, blowing all through the city and state, something that we're accustomed to here in Oklahoma, and we can't really define it. Where is it coming from? What is going on? But we sure see the signs of it, and we feel the signs of it. So it is with the Spirit of God. The Spirit is always blowing through the life of the world. Oftentimes in places we might not even perceive, the Spirit of God is moving there. The Spirit of God is working secretly in the hearts of people that you might not even suspect. The Spirit of God is uncontrollably powerful and beyond anything that we can conceive of. The Spirit of God is blowing through our government right now. The Spirit Spirit of God blows through Biden and Harris. Spirit of God, blow through Trump and Pence. Spirit of God, do your work in our country. Have mercy on us. And we get disheartened for different reasons, and we get wrapped up in the whole thing, and we've got to pause for a moment and say, our ultimate allegiance is to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen? We talk about President Jesus around here. The early church said Jesus Christ is Lord. And what they were saying is Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And so here at Our Lord's, we say Jesus is Lord, not our president. Whoever that might be. Friends, if the church in China can survive and thrive in all the various iterations of their government, we can survive and thrive no matter what happens. Right? Some of us are celebrating, yes, about time we got rid of Trump, Biden's in. Some are frustrated by this whole thing, wondering if Trump perhaps is going to be elected. It's a mess. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, and the Spirit of God is blowing through the earth, doing the will of God, regardless of what any human beings do. Whatever we get wrapped up in, we constantly have to lift our eyes up. I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe in God the Spirit. I'm grateful for my government. I'm grateful for our Constitution. But friends, this is our Constitution. This is our Constitution right here. So I pledge allegiance to President Jesus. And I pledge allegiance to the Constitution of the Word of God. And yes, I'm a loyal, faithful citizen of America, and I'm committed, but ultimate allegiance is to who? The Lord Jesus. So the last thing I want us to look at very quickly here, we've looked at the personhood, the presence, and now the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll end with this as we move into ministry time. Just look at a couple of verses here, Acts 10, 38. The power of the Holy Spirit is demonstrated in the life of Jesus. Again, we're constantly going to him first, 
looking at his words, looking at what he said, looking at what he modeled, looking at his life. And then the apostles. Look at what Peter says about the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The power of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. He goes about doing good, healing those who were oppressed. God was with him. And we continue this anointing. His anointing, his mantle falls on his church. And we get to continue to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the whole book of Acts is about. Just write this down. You can look at it later. But Galatians 3, the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. What Paul says in Galatians 3 is that the Spirit of God is given by grace. Galatians 3, 5 says, God supplies us with the Spirit and works miracles among us, not by the law, but by belief through faith. So the power of the Holy Spirit operates in the church. Let's end with this here. Titus 3.4. Titus 3.4. It's after Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul says this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he's actually referring to Christ sent by God, but as God. Verse 5, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. According to his mercy. Through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. So the spirit of God in the life of Jesus the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church, the power of the Holy Spirit here in Titus to transform us into the image of Jesus. That is what the Spirit is eternally committed to, is having Christ formed in his church. Lord, we thank you for your word. We say today, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Father and Son, we thank you for the gift the power, the presence, the person of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, for every single one of us that you would take us deeper into fellowship, into relationship, into communion with the third person of the Holy Trinity. Lord, we wait on you. Ask for a fresh infilling today. Fill us with your spirit.